Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to Wood Talk Online Radio, for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys that are actually under the illusion that woodworking is cool. Mark, Matt and Shannon. It's episode 85 for May 25th, 2011. On today's show we talk about joining the Frog Pants Network, woodworking seasons and our big topic for the day, the hand tool craze. But before we get to that stuff, Matt, why don't you tell them how they can get in touch with us? All right, as always, there's a few different ways you can get a hold of us. If you ever have a comment, a question, or a suggestion about something you've heard in today's show or maybe something you'd like to hear on an upcoming episode, either email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail at 623-242-5180 or you could Skype us at woodtalkonline and you can even check us out our, at our individual sites, which is mattsbasementworkshop.com, thewoodwhisperer.com, and renaissancewoodworker.com. And especially, you know, if you find a few extra minutes and you just don't know what to do with yourself, head on over to the forum at woodtalkonline.com because that's pretty much what I do. When I am bored out of my skull and have nothing better to do, that's where I head over to. And again, that's <laughs> woodtalkonline.com. That's a great place to be when you're absolutely bored. That's right. Hey, you know, another great place to be. I hear that we have a little announcement because we're we're heading someplace or we're going to be someplace or someplace likes us. Uh, someplace likes us. That's an interesting way to put it. Um, <laughs> we, yeah, we do. Actually, we have a little bit of an announcement here. We recently joined the Frog Pants Network, and some of you may be aware of this already if you read the blog and some of the, the Twitter action that's going out there. Uh, the Frog Pants Network is the brainchild of Scott Johnson, who is a great friend, and he's a, an incredible artist and just a really talented guy. He does a lot of different podcasts about a lot of different topics. And Frog Pants is just one of those, um, I guess if you're a podcast listener, you think of things like Twit, 
run by Leo Laporte, where there's a bunch of different podcasts associated with the network. Uh, this is really the same thing, uh, except for this one's run by Scott Johnson, and it's just an incredible selection from a, a really wide variety of topics. They have a bunch of different shows. A lot of them really focus on, you know, uh, sort of geek culture in a way, um, you know, applications, video games, movies, um, all types of things. But there's also current events, there's news. And and the way I looked at this, and, and maybe you guys can sort of give your opinions on this too, a lot of people wonder where does woodworking fit into this? Because obviously it's a very different thing. But really when I look at all of the shows in Frog Pants, to me, it's all about geeking out about something. Whatever mm-hmm. that thing may be, whether it's politics, you know, whether it's uh, movies or games, it's about geeking out on something. And I think you'd be hard pressed to find three bigger woodworking geeks than the three of us. Frankly, go. <laughs> yeah, I, I hate to agree with you, but absolutely, this is like, um, yeah. My wife refers to the whole geeking out horribly, so we perfectly fit in there. There's really no other description for it. I mean, this is one of those. You know, it's really bad when you get the magazine, your wood magazine, whatever one it is, and you're just like mesmerized. This is <laughs> this is your porn. This is your life. This yeah. is this is it. Yeah, yeah that, that says you're a little bit of a geek about something. A little bit, yeah. And and the thing is, I think the three of us are pretty, you know, tech geeky for the most part too. I'm a I'm a big gamer. You know, my wife has several podcasts in the network as well. She's a huge gamer and a movie buff. Uh, you know, so it's something that I think we we feel comfortable in there, and we hope that they uh, they enjoy our our offerings <laughs> that we have here. It's a little bit of an odd topic, but maybe it will uh, sort of expand someone's horizons. And in fact, I, I already did get an email from someone who said that, well, I just heard you join the Frog Pants Network. I've always been interested in woodworking. Uh, where do you think I should start? You know, so here's someone who's coming into it and just discovering this hobby, you know, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, Very cool. I wanted to ask you guys, because I know you both listen to, to at least one or two Frog Pants shows, uh, which which one would you say is your favorite or, or point a few out that you really enjoy? Shannon, go ahead. What are your first ones? Well, I spend a lot of money because I listen to App Slappy. Um, <laughs> yep. That'll do so it. So I'll think, no, I don't need any more games on my iPhone or I don't need any productivity apps. And then I listen to App Slappy and, you know, $5 later, I've left the app store. So <laughs> I, I just did that today, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably one of my favorites. Um, I'm a big fan of the um, uh, Film Sack podcast as well. Just mm-hmm. making fun of bad movies. Always love that. Yeah, classics in there. Uh, you yep. know, th- Revenge of the Nerds, you know. Mm-hmm. Just think of any uh, Crawl, I think, was a really funny one that they did. <laughs> oh, my God, that was a great episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot of good ones. That's, that's a great show. Um, you know, mine is probably more focused on the video games. I'm a huge fan of uh, Final Score. That's one that Nicole is on with uh, with Brian and Scott. Uh, the Instance is absolutely fantastic. In fact, I think The Instance was probably my first Scott Johnson podcast that I got into. Uh, that I that I sort of discovered who he was and all that stuff. So, um, hey Matt, do you think uh, do you think Mark's going to be in trouble for not naming Ladies of Leet as his favorite podcast? <laughs> I definitely don't want to be in the Spagnolo House tonight. That's for uh-huh. sure. Thankfully, you're on the other side of the country from us, so we don't have to listen to the potential screaming later on. <laughs> Look, I, I absolutely love Ladies of Leet. It's a it's there a fantastic show. How's that? Um, you, you can edit that later, so that's what you say yeah, first. Yeah, I, I need to fix edit. that later. Yeah, No, yeah. Ladies Elite is great, actually. They're on hiatus right now just uh, for various reasons. But, uh, but yeah, I think Ladies of Elite is sort of the, the uh, kind of the woman's perspective version of Final Score, you know, because they're both sort of general gaming shows. So it's uh, definitely a good one to check out. Anyway, uh, don't want to spend too much time on this. So, Matt, um, what, what's your story? Which one do you like? 
Uh, well, I, I'm an app slappy fan also, although I do miss uh, a certain woodworker being on there. But that was only a few episodes, so I kind <laughs> of first started, that one right out of my head. The first and two I made three. sure I never bought any of the stuff that that guy talked about. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. <laughs> and the other one, um, I, I catch it very rarely, but I enjoy it when I do is Movielicious. I kind of, I really like that one too. Uh, but most of the time I'm trying to get caught up on, uh, you know, all my woodworking podcasts, like uh, all my uh, 2009 episodes. Uh, <laughs> 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 no, but... But those are my two favorites, I have to say. I really, really enjoy those ones. So I, I think this is great that we're in there. I mean, this is, you, like you said, the whole geek thing. Awesome. Yeah. 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 It's like thanks, to, thanks to Scott for uh, allowing three woodworking geeks. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's like a dream come true. So anyway, I know for some of you woodworkers who are hardcore woodworkers, you probably don't uh, give a hoot about all this stuff. But definitely, there's really something there for everybody. So go check it out at frogpants.com and uh, click on the podcast tab and you'll see a bunch of different Awesome options there for you to check out. So let's move on to our normal stuff that we have here. Of course, we talk about what's on the bench. And uh, Shannon, you want to go first? Sure. So last night, um, my wife reminds me of like the fifth grade student that says, oh, the science project, science fair project is coming up. (laughs) And oh, yeah, it's due tomorrow. And can you help me with it? Because, again, she came to me and said, we're having this award ceremony tomorrow, and I'm supposed to give out, like, a music appreciation musician of the year. Uh, can you make a trophy? Oh, boy. Well, actually, no. She said, can you make a trophy? And then I said, sure, that'll be fun. And I'm immediately thinking, like, I'm going to turn something. I want to play with eccentric turning. She's like, and I need it by tomorrow morning. And I said, <laughs> okay, I've got some blocks of cherry in the uh, shop that I could spray <laughs> some lacquer on. It's and- a custom square piece of wood. Congratulations. <laughs> So I made I made a little three-tiered trophy. We went over to the music store and bought like this little silver treble clef and silver quarter note and I glued them to uh brass rods on the top and thank God for lacquer. Yeah, <laughs> Three coats yeah. of lacquer, 15 Gotta minutes in between, sand and bam, you're done. Nice. So yeah, that was my music appreciation trophy, which, you know, honestly, I, I make fun of it, but it was kind of fun because I got to take a, t- a break from the tool cabinet for you know, <laughs> a night and the, just build something else. The, so, pl- the know, plague of fun. the tool cabinet. You know, little <laughs> little projects like that are great when you can just kind of go in there, not really have to think too hard about it and just bust out a project and especially one that's going to be used immediately and appreciated. It's I, can, I think yep. that's a lot of fun. Ooh, right. And get this. I used my router table. Oh, yeah, it still works. And hundreds of disappointed hand tool school fans are are, are moaning. Oh, there goes the membership right now. (laughs) Did he he say router plane table? What do you need one of those for? (laughs) A router plane table. I'm going to invent one of those. I'm going to beat John Economaki to that one. Yeah, really. That's that's exactly what that reminds me of what it would be like. Wow. Very cool. There's a new product idea. So, Matt, what's uh, what's the story in your shop? Oh my gosh. You know, it's one of those, um, I've been talking about, I've been finishing up these bookcases for, for my client. I was so excited because the company that I always go through for my plywood, they have really good stuff. I mean, I've never been disappointed until this time. Oh Oh, man. Let me tell you something. I ordered some shop grade, uh, plywood and when it arrived, it looked exactly like the stuff that like, I know that you used and, and the stuff I was telling myself, I would always use this and never use crappy plywood again. Mm -hmm. Well, as I was assembling everything, I started to notice that there was a few little, uh, uh, extra nicks of the veneer happening here and there. And I'm thinking, well, maybe my blades are going dull. Maybe that has to be it. That's the only explanation. Why would it be this crappy plywood? And then more of the veneer started splitting here and there. I get everything assembled, 
not too bad. Nothing's really major in, in, in noticeable areas. So I was kind of sanding things out in the garage the other night. Cause I'm getting ready to put the, uh, they want them painted. So I'm getting ready to paint stuff. And suddenly I had two or three, maybe four or five spots where it wasn't just like a little veneer came off. We're talking one of them was up to two feet long, plus about two inches wide of this oh veneer God, just peeled geez. right off. Yeah, it just, oh my God. It, but the neighbors, not just across the street, not just next door, but there were some people way down the way. I saw them starting to pack because they thought it was the end of the world and something <laughs> horrible has happened. I was screaming so loud. I was just so angry. The rapture. So w- <laughs> that was exactly it. They're like, oh, this is it. This is it. He was right. And I'm like, no, that was Saturday. This is Monday. Um, but I went and found my receipt for the, uh, the, the, the plywood. And it turns out right there next to my signature for where I signed for it says, uh, uh, birch plywood, Chinese manufacturer. And I'm mm. like, you've got to be kidding me. You have to be kidding me. So thankfully, this is being painted. I was able to basically kind of cover things up. So with a little glue, get the veneer back in place. If it was to be stained, it would look horrible. But luckily, <laughs> since it's going to be painted, it is kind of in a hidden location now. And so I, I don't have to quite worry about it so much. But I was just... Oh, my stomach was so just spinning on this one. I was, I've never been this angry in my life. Okay, I was angry one other time, but not this t- on a project like this. You know, just- with shop grade plywood, even at a reputable dealer, shop grade is a little bit of a, a mixed bag. I mean, sometimes you get the, the Chinese stuff that just is absolute garbage. And it's kind of funny because I got an email after one of our previous discussions that we had about buying better quality plywood and never buying anything from the home store. And this particular person was kind of, you know, taking us to task over it because he, he had actually purchased quite a bit of good plywood, or at least what he determined was decent enough for his projects at the home store. But then when he went to take our advice and went to uh, his, his local hardwood dealer and bought plywood there, it cupped on him. The veneer was delaminating, hit all kinds of problems. So I, I kind of explained to him that it's not an all or none or an absolute thing. Sometimes some Home Depots and Lowe's will get a decent batch of plywood in. And sometimes your hardwood dealer is going to order crap plywood. And it's just kind of the way it goes sometimes. Um, yep. But just because you're buying it from your hardwood dealer doesn't necessarily guarantee that it's going to be super high quality. Oh, yeah. You, My first you know, thought was, Shannon, you were talking about looking up the different grades and how you yeah. couldn't find the grade. That's what <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to take a picture and send it to you and go like, I've got a grade for you for this. You just <laughs> keep flipping pages, moving down. You're in like double A and, you know, nope, nope, still no shop grade plywood. You know, what's interesting, though, is, is you know, the, the Chinese plywood that's just become, you know, demonized by everybody. Yeah. The um. The Chinese, they do actually listen. They've been hearing, wow, why do they not like our plywood? And I think what happened is they came in with, um, you know, the idea is let's undersell the market. Let's beat out the rest of the market because, you you know, we all know real high quality plywood is expensive stuff. You know, it's not $20. Yeah. You can spend 100 bucks on a piece of quality plywood if, in some instances. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> the Chinese thought, well, let's just underbid the market. So they started coming in with, you know, sheets of plywood for $20, $30. And, you know, people just flipped out like, oh, my God, we can get such cheap plywood. And then they started to discover how, what crap it is. So the Chinese now, most of the manufacturers, at least that, that my um, employer has been looking at, they've started to realize, well, we can still make a good quality product and still set the market. You know, we can we can improve our quality insurance a lot more and sell a, a sheet of plywood that's $10 cheaper 
than something else and reinvest that money into higher quality. So the rumor is, well, it's not a rumor, but the stuff is in production. Supposedly, we're going to start to see some better quality imported plywood. Now, I will not hold my breath on that, (laughs) but it it was interesting because, I mean, you saw you see that price disparity and it's huge. So you figure, you know, they could charge $40 more for a sheet of plywood and still be cheaper than some of the domestic stuff. So I'd be curious to Uh see, you know, of course, we're going to get emails about buy American and well, okay. <laughs> you want to get on that, uh, that soapbox? <laughs> Sometimes you try and it's just not there. It's just not available in certain areas. Trust me, I know. <laughs> Very true. Very the true. scary thing is the fact that I live in Muskegon, which used to be like a lumber capital. Our whole, like I've said this before, our whole in, uh, um, infrastructure at the beginning of how Muskegon got started was all lumber barons. In fact, the hospital hmm. I used to work for was named after a lumber baron. And now it's like, hey, can I get any wood in Muskegon? No, I got to drive where? <laughs> wow, how'd that happen? Just just follow the log trucks out of town. That's exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, and frankly, though, it, it is very difficult, I think, for most people to know exactly where the plywood comes from that they're buying. You know, even if, oh, uh, yeah. you know, you go in and let's say you know your, your grades and you could specify the, the type of uh, face you want and the, the core that you want. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to come right out and say, oh, by the way, that one is imported, this one, you know what I mean? So it's not yep. it's not quite as easy for people to see and know for sure exactly what the source is for this stuff. Right. And a lot of times they don't know at all. Even the dealer doesn't know because it's, they yeah. bought it from a distributor who bought it from a distributor who bought it from an importer. <laughs> right. And yep. and you have no clue sure. where it comes from. So. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and sadly, though, if you don't pay attention to things like I apparently did did not and look at the actual bill of sale where it says right there and, and it wasn't in like small letters either it was like chinese manufacturer i'm like damn it well you know if you're if you're buying i mean is it safe to say if you're buying a sheet of plywood three quarter inch that costs less than i'm gonna say 40 to 45 dollars there's a real good chance that it's imported yeah yeah, and see, that's Agreed. the thing is, this was right. This was forty five dollars a sheet. So I thought I was actually safe because this company gives you a price break on a certain number of you know pieces that you buy, and I, I fit within that price break. Yeah. So there was that mental. You know, my thinking was, oh, this is gonna, this is perfect. This is exactly what I want. And in the catalog, it didn't say anything about Chinese manufacturer. It's not till you get that that bill. And now that I think about it, the way he handed it to me to sign, it was folded. So the only thing you saw was the signature part. I wonder if I can any, any lawyers that are listening to us. Do I have a case? <laughs> I think you do, man. You should go back there and just give them hell. All right. So, so anyway, uh, so what do you got going on, Mark? We yeah, talked enough about our benches. Yeah, my bench is uh, is full of of cabinet doors. Unexpectedly, um, my oh. yeah, and I actually decided to do a little video on a video on this because I'm going into a guild build and I'm going to need some video content for the the free site. So I figured. Uh, this would be a good topic. I basically in my my mom's house that she moved into, which is our old house. You know, we're in Arizona, and it's very common here for houses to have a southwestern theme. And uh, you know, so you have doors that they have these weird moldings on them that uh, have sort of the stair step uh, effect to it. And I guess that just all of a sudden makes it southwest when it wasn't before. I always thought that was Aztec, but maybe I'm mistaken. <laughs> yeah, it, it does look like an Aztec uh, building of some sort, but it's Anastasi. Um, so yeah, so these things are all over the place. So she really wants to tone that down, you know, just to make it a little bit more contemporary. Let's get a little further away from this, despite the fact that it's like a territorial home and you can only get so far away from that look. Um, so the doors on all the cabinetry inside the house are absolutely, 
uh, good quality hickory, nice solid wood frames and a flat panel, just, you know, a piece of quarter inch ply with a hickory face on the panel. The thing is they have these applied moldings that are uh, in each corner of the frame that give it that southwestern look. And instead of like just replacing all the cabinetry and, you know, you know how sometimes you could do a little modification that sort of at least delays the amount of time uh, before you need to replace it or do something drastic. So I figured, you know what, I think I could probably pop these things off, sand it down, fill any, you know, little flaws that, that show up and take all the finish off and just reapply a new finish to it and really refresh these and also put on a new piece of hardware, uh, which would make a huge difference. So I tried one sample, came out great. And it was like, you know what, I think this is the way we're going to do it. So I decided to do a video on it and I'll probably have that up before the end of the week on the free site. Um, but it turned out really, really nice. And it's just one of those times, like, like you were talking about Shannon with the, uh, the trophy that you made. It's just one of those times where it's nice to put our skills, not necessarily to something that really tests us in any way, yeah. but to do something really useful that someone really appreciates or it just saves them a whole lot of money uh, and hassle. So it was one of those really satisfying home specific projects, but not really something all that glamorous. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's what I was doing. Not too exciting. Sprayed a little water-based finish on it. Came out nice. And uh, mom's happy. And, and uh, it's like I always say, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Yeah, mom's not happy around here ever. So nobody's happy. <laughs> nobody's ever house, happy though. in the Vanderlist house. But, uh, you know, I was I thought for sure you were going to say, like, she wanted something <laughs> where, you know, you, here you are in the, in the middle of Arizona. It's all, you know, very, very ethnic-y kind of looking. And she's like, I want it to look more like Cape Cod-y. And you're like, but we have stucco <laughs> all over the outside. Dude, you want to hear the funniest thing? On the way to the, the shop uh, where the other house is, there is a Cape Cod-style home in the middle of the desert right by the road. I'll take a picture and send it to you. It's the stupidest-looking thing I've ever seen. I mean, no offense to someone who wants a Cape Cod-style home in the middle of the desert, but it just looks dumb. Oh, my gosh. There must have been a tornado, and it dropped this house all the way from Cape Cod. It's amazing. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so let's move around here. We've um, got – well, last time we didn't really finish all of our features because we got hung up on the Woodworking in America conversation. So we wanted to make sure we covered those other things. So we'll be skipping the magazine roundup, and, I mean, frankly, nothing's changed since the last time. And uh, we do have a couple links from the forum and around the web. So I see, Matt, you've got something from the forum if you want to talk about that real quick. Yeah, this just came in, and it was funny because it kind of caught my eye. Cause I remember thinking about one of these oh so many years ago. But uh, let's see, this is uh, Duck Kisser was the one that posted this. <laughs> and it's regarding. I had to double check that name a couple of times before I mentioned it. I'm like, Duh, wow, with my pronunciation, that could have came out so wrong. <laughs> yeah. uh, but he was asking about an electric hand planer. In fact, the whole conversation start starts out. Okay, so I have I have used traditional planers and hand planers, but I have never used an electric hand one blade planer, bladed planer. Are they any good? What are the limitations and benefits? Uh, they look like a small hand belt sander, but they have a planer blade in the middle. And the funny thing is this, this struck me, maybe it was because the coffee hadn't kicked in this morning, but when I read that, I remember seeing those and always thinking when I was first getting started, I would love to use hand planes, but I don't know how to use them. This has to be so much easier. And so, therefore, I, I remember standing in the home center and, like, holding one and thinking, I think I'm going to go with this. I mean, everybody else probably would. So my question to you guys is, when I saw this, number one, have you ever owned one? I, I do own one. You do own one. Okay. Do you, do you ever use it, like, on any regular kind of basis? 
I don't use it on any basis whatsoever. <laughs> okay, that, that pretty much answered my question then. <laughs> I own one, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you frankly, it's uh, when Festool was a sponsor. I, you know, was fortunate enough to get a number of tools from them, and sometimes they would send me something like that, and you never really know. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll take it, but it's really not something that I ever even think to pull out of the box. It- I, I, and I know that they have different length ones. They have one that would probably be like the equivalent of like, well, the smoother, I think, is the one that we would think of. It's long or maybe more like a jack plane. It's about that size. And I've seen ones where they're actually like the, the bed is much like a joiner fence, maybe even a little bit bigger. And it's just so funny because I see those things. And like I said, I always thought, man, in the beginning, that's that's how you'd get started. That's that's the natural progression of a hand plane is it went to that. Right. And, uh, so not. <laughs> well, I can tell you, I don't own one, but I've used one. <clears throat> I used a Ryobi model mm-hmm. um, at, a, at a neighbor who had one. And I was like, oh, look, one of these electric hand planes. I've always wanted to try one. He's like, go for it. And it was scary. I'll just <laughs> tell you that. I mean, it's it's a jointer. It's really what it is. The, the, the you know, the, the infeed um, sole, I guess, is is at a different height than the outfeed sole. And there's one of those, I, I don't know whether there was probably just two blades in the little, you know, turntable thing, the little rotary head inside. And basically you pull the trigger and the thing starts spinning just like it does a joiner. And it just, I mean, th- there's no like guard on the bottom or anything like that. It just scared the crap out of me. <laughs> so like, let me ask you this, Shannon, would you use your knuckle method for uh, getting a board nice and square crap. with that? <laughs> Yeah. Uh no. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's one I of win. those it's one of those things where I've um I've thought about using it at at different times and trying to figure out where it might come in handy. And you know, maybe if I'm doing a really wide board that's uh something I don't want to split down the middle and joint separately and it's got a little bit of a bow to it. Well, you can take your plane out and you could start to work the high spots and just kind of try to flatten it out as good as you can so that you could then pass it through the planer and, uh, you know, sort of skip plane it in a way. Um, You might be able to take very shallow cuts with that and just make quick work of leveling that that board out so that you can at least throw it through the planer with that side down. So that's something I'm kind of keeping my eye out for is an opportunity to give that method a try Mm -hmm. just to see if there's any value to it. Well, you know, know, I remember, oh, go ahead. The the one that I used, it had, you know, depth settings on the front and a little knob. And if I remember correctly, it went, it certainly went to one eighth of an inch, but I think it actually went one notch higher than that. Hmm. I mean, it, can you imagine? That's a lot of power that in your puppy hands, up man. and just start thickness planing the board. <laughs> just, yep. Yeah, that's a little too much meat, you know, in, in one pass. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's why some of the guys in the uh, that responded to this, like Flair Woodworks, he mentioned, you know, that uh, uses a Makita six and three quarter inch wide planer to surface slabs, and then he says it produces a good flat surface. And I know for a fact that, oh, man, many years ago, probably about the same time that I was considering getting one, uh, Fine Woodworking had an article where, again, you had somebody who was doing like natural edge tables, just these huge giant slabs, and that's what he was using to get dead flat surfaces, and he surfaced them very much like what you would do with with a hand plane to say do a, a bench or a very wide board and he would just make these like series of cross hatch type passes or cross hatch see there's that thing with my mom um <laughs> that would you know then get it all ready to go and then come back in and clean it up that way so yeah the, the whole thing with the a really big surface a big slab i could definitely see how that could you know get through it quite quickly but at the same time though i still have to laugh every time i see one of those and i'm just like ah. 
this would be good. Not. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's definitely something that's handy, I think, in construction, you know, and you need to plane down a door or something like that. It's very handy to have around. But it, for fine woodworking purposes, I don't know. I mean, you, I, I just want more control. And if I'm going to do that type of activity, I really would rather just pick up a plane and do it just for the satisfaction of it and enjoying the process. So I don't know. I'll give it a shot. I'll, I'll report back if I um, have an opportunity to do that. But uh, it, yeah. definitely a good post for sure. Yeah, anything that can drag my body along it, um, down the down the bench or anything like that, I get a little leery about. <laughs> Fingers and thumbs don't be dumb, right, Matt? That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right, so around the web, a couple of links that you guys found here. Shannon, you want to go first? Sure. I uh, ran across, actually, a, um, a listener emailed me and um, said, are you aware that uh, I'm probably going to get the last name wrong, but Matt Cianci? Cianci. Um, something like that. Matt over at the saw blog, um, he has started a saw sharpening service. Um, as I understand the story correctly, um, Mark over at Bad Axe Toolworks contacted him and said, you know, I'm completely backlogged. Uh, there's no way I'm going to be able to get all these orders out. Any chance you'd want some sharpening customers? And apparently they've swapped saws back and forth. So, you know, they, they respect each other as saw filers. And Matt has now started up a saw sharpening service. He'll do saw, this is really hard to say, saw restoration. Saw restoration work, rust removal. could be sawing a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Seriously. So anyway, the stuff that Techno Primitives, the the division of Bad Axe Toolworks that does vintage saw restoration, I know Mark is kind of shied away from some of that lately because now he's a tool maker. Um, but it was a great service, but I think the turnaround has been really, really slow just because mm-hmm. he's too busy making saws from scratch. So Matt is now going to not necessarily take over, but take over some of that um, overflow, if you will. So it's another good uh, resource to go and get your saws sharpened if you don't want to do it yourself. So, so what you're saying is it's actually a Matt and Mark doing something productive for a change. I know. I was Crazy. just going to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Very cool. All right, Matt, was, what do you got? The the right? It's the K at the end of the mark. That's oh, okay. Yeah. yeah that, that's why the, it's productive. Yeah, it's marks with the a C. There, marks with a C are just lazy, naturally. <laughs> what you got there, Matt? All right. The, what I have here is um, when I was out surfing the other day, literally surfing, I came across this, the perfect wooden surfboard. This is just a, a neat little uh, blurb I saw someplace at fastcompany.com. Uh, this is their, I guess it's their magazine or newsletter or whatever. But they you know, joke so many times about like the cold wood and making the surfboards and all that other stuff a few episodes back. And here's a main studio, which is returning to surfboard building roots with a wooden sustainable board. And this is this is kind of neat. It's a six foot five inch single fin retro shape board. Um, it's a little pricey at nineteen hundred dollars, uh, but they said basically this is a lifetime board. In fact, it's uh, they're making it out of local cedar, uh, and they said it's just it, it's so much better than the current foam boards that are out there. Uh, so I just thought that was pretty neat that you know here's one of these things where, uh, gee, we're returning back to natural products like wood. So. Go figure. Hmm. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. But it's uh, it says uh, all the boards are cut from a plank and then hollowed out. So basically you have woodworkers returning to doing this where before it was just kind of 
I'm sure they had some talent. Oh, man, I'm going to get my butt kicked by a surfer now. I'm staying away from anywhere with large waves. <laughs> nice. That That's going to be tough in Muskegon. <laughs> yeah, right. all, yeah, those, all those beaches and waves <laughs> we do have two surfers and luckily uh most of the time two i think surfers. i can almost run faster than them <laughs> i've always thought of matt as a beach bum yeah anyway all right so the company is and of course we'll, we'll have a link in there so you can check out the article and maybe head over there and check them out but cool. i thought that was pretty cool it just I don't know. I was thinking about my uh, Surf's Up movie again. Oh, the documentary? <laughs> yes, the documentary Surf's Up. <laughs> All right. That's awesome. Okay, so let's move on here. Uh, we've got a couple of voicemails. Some we will play later because they're more relevant to the topic we're going to discuss later. Uh, but before that, we're going to take a little detour and talk about woodworking seasons. Diami sent us a voicemail a couple weeks ago that I didn't uh, really notice until recently. Uh, I think it's pretty good, and it's kind of some some interesting food for thought. So let's take a listen. Good afternoon, Wood Talk Online. This is Diami from Penultimate Woodshop. Uh, I just finished listening to episode 82, and you guys went up here talking about how it's summertime, we should all get in the shop. And this made me think about all the discussion that goes on online about gearing up to do woodworking in the summer. Now, I'm in New York. It does get cold here in the winter. But for me, at least, woodworking season is, I try to do it all year round, but it tends to more be the winter. Because in summertime, life gets in the way, especially these days, kids' sports. And uh, I just don't have the time in the shop that I tend to in the winter. And though I'm working in an uninsulated garage at this point with a little space heater, I bundle up and suck it up and do what I got to do because that's when I have the time. So I was just curious, uh, am I the only one who's off-season in my woodworking? Or are there others who find that life starts in summertime and that tends to block the woodworking? Well, keep up the good show and hope this is an interesting discussion. Bye. All right, great uh, voicemail there. And actually, it was something I was like, you know, this is a really good question because we do talk about that a lot. But uh, I can say from my perspective in running a website, you guys know as well as I do, we can sort of monitor the traffic. And we see, just like retailers probably see, uh, you know, traffic varying depending on the time of year. And I, I think I could safely say that there are officially two woodworking seasons. And I would identify one of those as being the transition from spring to summer and then also from fall to winter. And really the peaks being like in June in the summer, excuse me. And then I think like Diami saying, people do get very involved in their stuff, you know, at home. And then by, you know, July and August, I don't know about you guys, but things are really dead around that time uh, on the websites. I, I know we've exchanged emails in the past, Matt, about like, man, is anybody even watching the show anymore? Oh, I know. In fact, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, while, you, while we're discussing this, I'm going to go look at my Google Analytics and see how bad it really was because if I remember, <laughs> right, in the past couple of years, the summer, it, it, it dies off. Yeah, it's to that point where I'm seriously... I'm convinced that the show has gone completely under, and I'm hoping somebody's out there listening other than just me. <laughs> you know, but the summer is completely dead. Well, having having worked with uh, Matt oh, for a number of years now, we I, I've noticed this cycle about my my good buddy there, and that he goes through this emotional cycle every year. So by by the uh, sort of midwinter. He's ready to leave. You know, he's like, I don't know. I don't know if I should do this anymore. And and I'm just like, no, no, hang in there, man. You can do it. And, and it's just hilarious because it really is reflective based on how many people are playing along, how many people are listening, how many people are writing him. And as a podcaster, when you don't have a significant monetary motivation, it's really hard, right? You know, it, 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 there's an emotional thing there. 
And it's so funny because I keep telling myself, I mean, it's just like when I could never get dates. I'd be like, it's all right. You can be by yourself. Just do this for yourself. You got to find the inner you. It, yeah, it's, it's it's poor Mark went through this last year around Woodwork in America where I'm like, I'm so done. I'm done. I am sick of this. And then like we're walking around the marketplace. I'm like, hey, how's it going? How you doing? How you doing? Hey, how you doing? We call it uh, we call it Matt's yearly menopause. <laughs> and uh, but and no, I, have, I mean, I, hey, that's what friends are for, right? We're here to kind of that's right. to bring each other up when we're down but uh and now that i'm in my 40s it's going to be coming more frequently i have a feeling <laughs> yeah but really i mean you've got that dip and in, in summer and then of course it starts to um you know to cool off a little bit so there's another mm-hmm. blip of activity as we go through fall and winter maybe a little bit shorter um but i think to to diami's point i think he's probably right in the dead of winter and in the the hot you know most humid parts of summer there really is not that much activity but people are gearing up as it starts to warm up and there's a lot of activity, but they do woodwork in summer. But I think for the vast majority of people, it really tapers off after June. It does. There's no doubt about it because at that point, for some of us that have lawns and we have to go out and mow those, and then maybe it's the only time we can get a chance to go on vacation. Yeah. Family vacations. Right. Yeah. And then the winter, there's all that, you know, as much as we want to be inside, there's blowing the snow or basically I think for you, Shannon, what you guys just hibernate, if I remember right. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Have you and noticed then watch the, picnic for, tables collapse. Yeah, right. I remember oh, that. Man. Have you noticed like a similar pattern with your website and just your general activity over there? Um, I think so. I, it's funny because I just did the same thing with Matt. I pulled up my analytics and did, you know, over the past year to take a look at it. And, you know, there there was a... There's a, a general climb that's going on. But, yeah, I think it's definitely a little bit slower. Um, honestly, it's it's funny because I think this is the first time that I've looked this long view at my own analytics. Um, I usually just keep talking anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just keep putting stuff out regardless. Well, if you, if you so, pay too much attention, you wind up getting menopause, and that's always good. So. I guess that's true. <laughs> so I... You know, it's not pretty I, because then your your friends are like, seriously, dude, just relax. <laughs> I, I think I've managed to keep kind of a, a baseline of activity on the sites just because I, I continually post. Um, but I don't I don't know. Um, it's interesting because I switched domains too um, about yeah. a year ago. Um, so I've got some blips there as people are getting adjusted to the new domain. But yeah, I could definitely see it just. In general, in web marketing in general, there's always going to be a bit of a fall off when people have better things to do. So. Yeah. yeah, well, and yeah. for me, a lot of times it's my email. Uh, my inbox fills up a lot more when people are just kind of out there doing their thing. They come up with questions or they want to share pictures. Uh, but during during that dead of winter and in the, the heat of summer, that's when things really taper off and, and the inbox gets a little bit lighter every day, which is kind of a nice little break for me. But right. um, definitely I, I, hope, I hope this isn't telling too much, but I'm looking at it right now. July of last year to somewhere about mid-August, uh, I easily have in there almost a month worth of no visits at all. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure your analytics just wasn't working for that time say, period? That doesn't sound right. <laughs> no, uh, I'm pretty sure it was working, but uh, yeah, that was. Now you understand the deep hole I fell into that year. <laughs> oh, I, can, right. I can totally Mark, understand. Mark, we, we need to visit Matt's site. Like, I'm just going to go there once and, a day. I'm just going to go there and click all of his Google ads and just you know give yeah, him a double whammy. Just, just a little love. Now watch. <laughs> I'm going to get a thing from Google that says, "We're sorry, you can no longer belong to our." We know that you're friends with Mark and Shannon, and they're clicking your ads. We, you got to help out a friend. Visit visit Matt's site this summer. 
You yeah, know, you know, when you're thinking of, you know, the dog days of summer, there's nothing else going on, go to mattsbasementworkshop.com. Stop by and, and drop Matt a line and, and let him know that it. you're thinking of him. And throw yeah. that old dog a bone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, but you know, the one thing is, uh, I know, um, especially being in, in the cold, and like Deami said, like when, in the winter, that's when maybe he's really kind of busy and stuff like that. A lot of the people that have the garage shops just don't want to spend that time either like bundling up to go out there. Or we've been getting quite a few, and I've seen this on the forum too, a lot of questions about lumber storage. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling there's a lot of people who still don't quite – they're concerned that by working with the projects or the wood in these temperatures that maybe it's going to have an effect on it, which, well, they could if you build it in the cold and then you bring it into the warm, there's obviously going to be an effect. But if you are working on a project and you can kind of like keep it at a more stable temperature in there, which probably could get expensive, you know, with heating and everything, mm-hmm. um, you know, that that could help make it easier for you to, to woodwork year round. But I know uh, – one other thing is maybe people are switching from the type of woodworking they're doing to something smaller. I mean, it's kind of like a running joke with us sitting on the porch drinking our grape sodas and yelling at kids is the idea of like whittling, you know, right. and yeah. there you go. some people will pick up small things like that or, you know, smaller projects that they can do out of their traditional workshop, and, you know, just to have that thing going on. Or, again, they just hibernate. That's always yeah. one of my favorite things to do when it's cold. That it is. And eat pizza. Yes. Okay. Um, you know, so the, the main uh, the main topic we wanted to talk about today, and we'll take up the, the pretty much the rest of the show, is uh, the hand tool craze. And I actually just got crap from Wilbur in the forum for calling it a craze. And <laughs> uh, and let me just clarify what I mean by craze is, is really nothing more than just a, a lot of interest, um, accelerated interest in hand tools. And I'm not even saying it's a bad thing. Um, it's great. I think it's bringing extra awareness to hand tools. So it's a very positive thing. I don't see craze as being a negative term there. Um, but basically, you know, at the end of the last show, I kind of posed this question to, to Matt and Shannon, and we wound up talking about it for another 10 or 15 minutes and thinking like, you know, maybe this would be a good topic to talk about on the show. <laughs> maybe we should have kept recording. <laughs> yeah. Well, the problem was we, I was recording some of it and then, you know, Matt started cursing and Shannon was, uh, you know, giving us rumors about people and it was just, you know, <laughs> it, it became a big mess and it, you know, we would have gotten in trouble. So, um, but that's when the bourbon really kicked in and some horrible <laughs> things came out. Yeah, definitely. Mm. It was an adult swim. That's for sure. Bourbon and grape soda. Mm. That sounds good. Um, So basically, I wanted to bring that into today's discussion and talking about that specifically and whether or not, you know, just a little bit about whether this is, is it a craze? Is it, I don't want to say fad because I think, you know, it would be, it would be kind of stupid to say that hand tools are a fad because obviously this is where (laughs) things started. Um, But if you look at at the, the things that people are talking about, the general interest and we're sort of using magazines to some degree as a bit of a barometer for what's happening here. We'll talk about that as well. Um, there is definitely more interest in hand tools. And the question is, is this a permanent uh, change of interest? Is this going to permanently change the way most average woodworkers approach their tools that they choose for their shops? Has it gone too far perhaps? And and will that pendulum ever swing back to being more hand or uh, power tool focused? Um, and I will say, you know, take everything that we say here with a grain of salt, because the three of us are so deep into our things that we may, I think, have a little bit of a skewed perspective for what the average person is doing. You know, I mean, yes, you, you guys know so. as well as I yeah, do. Completely. Yeah. I mean, basically, if people think we're something, that's the kind of questions we'll get. So, Shannon, you're definitely <laughs> labeled the hand tool guy. So what are 99 percent of the questions you get in email? They're probably about hand tools. 
and yep. you probably and don't Ruba get workbenches. Yeah, exactly. Right. You do your, you do a Ruba workbench. You're going to get questions about it. Um, you know, Matt, I'm sure you get questions about, uh, you know, hand tool, um, uh, hand plane kits. You know, that's something you've done a number of times on the show. Right. That's probably yeah. what people are going to ask you about. So, um, and I constantly get, uh, power tool setup questions. Uh, what power tool should I buy? That type of thing. So, um, right. you know, I do think we do have a little bit of a skewed perspective, but I think it would be fun to talk about this. Um, now, all of this comes from a email that I got, and this is what inspired me to even ask this question of you two last time. Uh, so let me read this email from James, and it's an interesting dilemma that he's found himself in. And I don't even know that we're necessarily going to go very far in answering James' question. We kind of did that behind the scenes a little bit offline, but this is where this is all coming from. He says, last year, I made a decision to learn woodworking using nothing but hand tools. I got into the hobby in 2009 and had a bout with a couple of horrible used tools that I picked up from Craigslist. I was going to get a new pow- new power tools, but instead, I decided that I wanted to learn to do it all uh, by hand instead. Uh, I could say that I am really regretting that choice. I spent six hours today building a square that wasn't square. I wanted to get into woodworking to be able to build my own furniture because I was sick of all the disposable crap that was being put out. Uh, and now I'm, I'm afraid that I'm very far from building anything and I have a whole house that I would like to furnish. I spent all of my money on hand tools, so there's really nothing left for power. My question is, would I be crazy to sell off all my hand tools in favor of power tools? I know that's a tough question, but I'm lost. Thanks for your help. So just just so everybody knows, I did have a lot of emails back and forth with James, and I know Shannon, he's a hand tool school student, so Shannon has gone above and beyond uh, to try to give James some assistance here. And, and the first thing I think that, you know, we wanted to tell him was don't sell your hand tools. Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't, first please. of all, yeah. you Hold know, on to those, please. Yeah. Talk about <laughs> regretting something. You will regret selling those hand tools. But, um, you know, so that's a, a bit of a quandary to be He's got in. some nice hand tools, too, by the way. Yeah. He, so, yeah. he definitely <laughs> invested in the right stuff. Uh, no doubt about it. Um, but it brings up a really good question of, you know, with all the accelerated interest, I don't think there, you know, there was a period of time where if a woodworker came into a forum and was interested in woodworking, I don't know that he would necessarily be encouraged to just go and buy all hand tools in the way that someone may be encouraged to do it now, because there are so many hand tool advocates out there doing their thing. Shannon, you're one of them, right. um, you know, so, so it's not necessarily a good or bad thing, but there will be people who end up in this position, maybe not everybody is meant to use hand tools, especially hand tools exclusively. Um, so here's a person who's in that position. So I wanted to use this as the launching point to start talking about this. So, you know, specifically, Shannon, you want to tell us a little bit of what you may know. And without going into detail, we don't want to give James, you know, whole life story here. But the situation that you dealt with and how you helped him approach moving on with this thing. Sure. Um I guess a, a, a recent update, uh, I think James is actually doing better. Um, he's still certainly struggling with milling. And I'll be honest, one of the first things I said to him, we got on a video Skype chat one time, which was way cool, by the way, <laughs> to be able to like set up a camera in your shop and he had one in his shop and just we sat there and hand playing together. It was cool. Nice. But, um, he, you know, one of the things I said is, is honestly, you might think about getting a thickness planer. I mean, it, milling lumber, it is it is a technique that I firmly believe everyone should have an idea how to do it because you're always going to find that board that's going to be too big for that thickness planer or too wide for the joiner. And and just knowing how to do it, I think will end up making you just a better woodworker, understanding how it works, sure. but it is hard damn work <laughs> and it's not 
it's not easy. You know, it's not something that you necessarily just stumble onto and you're able to do it right away. I mean, hand planes, you can have a perfectly set up hand plane. And I think this is Mark kind of where you were going is there's incredible manufacturers of tools out there that make tools that are truly ready right out of the box Mm -hmm. and can make whisper thin shavings. And you can, you know, choke down on the blade or deepen the depth of cut and still get really good thick shavings and you can start planing boards and you get so excited because you're making these pretty shavings and you end up totally bananaing 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 is <laughs> that a word bananaing uh, yeah i use it all the time when i cut my hand tools you end up tapering with a curve to the board and, and you're like what the heck just happened you know i thought yeah. this was supposed to make it flat i thought this joiner plane because it's so long you know that's what i'm told this long plane is supposed to make things flat but what you don't realize is you know if you lean a little to the left you're going to end up tapering to the left if you lean too far forward in the cut you're going to end up tapering the board on the end of the cut and it's one of the things that you know i started working with james a little bit is trying to transfer the weight um back and forth um but at the same time, there's adjustments. You know, the old adage is you don't ever want to blame the tool. But I think he discovered that his blade wasn't quite the lateral adjuster. It wasn't it wasn't square mm, in the sole. Okay, right. So he was, you know, we'd got, I'm sitting here watching his, his um, hand plane stroke from beginning to end. I'm like, you know, James, you got it. How's it coming out? He's like, well, it's still not right. And, you know, we played around a little bit more. It's like, oh, wait, the blade's not level, you know. So there's all these little (laughs) things that moving parts and things that, frankly, you know, assuming that you've got your thickness planer set up, you know, you run the board through, it comes out the other end. And for the most part, it's flat. You may have some snipe in the beginning of the end or whatever. And, And you can definitely get into building furniture, building nice furniture. You can be proud of a lot faster with um, power tools. I personally think there's a lot more enjoyment that comes from hand tools. And a lot of people agree with me, but a lot of those people don't mill by hand. They cut joinery by hand, you know? Yeah. They do, Um, they do the more fun things. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So, you know, it's something that it, it is a little misleading and I'm probably part of the problem. If you think about it, when I launched the hand tool school, um, there are so many people saying hand tools are the way to go. And, and as you said, Mark, there's more proponents for it. Yeah. And, 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 I personally stir the pot a little bit sometimes by causing trouble like joiner plane fences and things like that by saying, oh, well, you know, you could do it faster by hand. You know, <laughs> I, I feel that I have to throw that out there in forum comments sometimes sure. just to be the hand tool jerk. Right. Um, well, we got to have one, you know. <laughs> yeah. And but, you know, at the same time, that breeds somebody else like coming to your defense saying, yeah, he's right. You know, do it this way. Do it that way. And to the to the newbie, the the neophyte woodworker. You know, they start to think, oh, how romantic and how wonderful that would be to do it all by hand. And, and you know, then they do it. And it's so demoralizing. It's so frustrating. And, yeah. and you know, having swapped emails with James a bunch and having that call, I feel for the guy, you know. Um, the other thing is sometimes you need somebody there, you know. Oh, there yeah. is a point no where virtual learning won't. It only goes so far. Well, there's so much you nuance know. to it in, in technique and in setup and everything. And if you're going the self-taught route, um, you know, having learned, uh, I would say, a little bit about hand tools and a lot about power tools, the learning curve is much uh, steeper uh, on the hand tool side of things. And, and you need those successes early on to encourage you to get deeper into it. So I think folks who are doing it in the virtual, you know, taking that virtual path, it's going to be a little bit tricky. You know, I don't know that you should expect to just get it right away. It's going to be a little frustrating. You're going to have to work on it. Yeah. Takes practice. It really does. For sure. You know, and, and I think that 
that may be some of it. You know, there's a lot of really amazing hand tool woodworkers out there that just make it look easy and they turn out beautiful stuff. And, and we've talked about this before, you know, woodworking is very process oriented Mm -hmm. and to those that get it, they're like, Oh yeah, no big deal. You know, it's just do this, then do that, then do that. And then you go down to your shop and you're like, what the hell just happened? You know, (laughs) I I follow the steps. What happened? And you know, it sucks, but hopefully you learn something from it. Yeah. Um, you well, know, and you, you learn how to adjust your plane. You learn that you're leaning to the left. And, but, you know, it's tough when you haven't built anything yet. Sure. Um, we, you know, that's one thing I think that one underlying uh, uh, point you're making in this is, is the fact that a lot of this is all about the practice. And I know for myself, I used to get so frustrated. Oh, am I kidding? I get still get frustrated when I'm oh, trying yeah. to, to learn Me something too. new. <laughs> yeah, and, and you think that you, you, you know this because you can maybe do one other step or because, as you said, you know, you watch somebody, so you go downstairs to do it, and it's not as diff, not as easy as they made it to appear. A lot of woodworkers, this goes back to that thing I've, you know, I've said over and over, it's all about practicing. I mean, a musician can easily pick up an instrument, and uh, they can't really make music until they keep practicing at it. And that's one thing I think a lot of people – Assume that the tool, depending on how well it's crafted, how well, you know, the, the, the name is known, therefore it has to be, you know, uh, perfect as soon as I start using it. And they rely too much on the tool itself versus the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever read uh, Jim Tolpin's Woodworking Wit and Wisdom. Yeah, I, I, lo- I love this book. This is so funny because there's so many things that he talks about in here that are these little golden nuggets that every time I pick it up, you know, I, I find something else in there. And it's so funny because he kind of talks about how uh, in his early days uh, they visited this neat little store called Woodcraft. And there was all these, you know, <laughs> really cool tools in there that they had only, you know, heard about or read about and never seen brand new. And so him and his buddies like bought like a whole bunch of them. I had all these really cool tools that were like German made and, you know, could do this and could do that. And then when it came to actually putting it to practice, they would spend like 60 minutes trying to draw like a perfect circle. And they had some, you know, salty old dog basically on the side who's like, yeah, just pick up the pencil and do this. <laughs> You know, and it, oh, yeah. a lot of it, it's that practice thing. It sure. just it really comes down to a lot of it. Sure. I was watching, um, I don't know what season it was, one of the more recent seasons of the Woodwright Shop the other night online. And um, Roy cut a miter um, and he used a paring chisel. And that was it. <laughs> and I'm like, you're freaking kidding me. You know, nice. he does the little thing like the uses his finger as a fence and he marks a line with a pencil, which, you know, OK, most of us have done that. It's a little carpenter's trick. But basically, he's like, OK, you take the width of the board, you set your pencil to the width of the board and then you put it up on the face of the board and that makes a 45 degree angle. Then you come up with a paring chisel and snick, snick, snick. And it's like, bam, the miter goes together perfectly. And I'm like dude, you suck. (laughs) Holy crap. You know, I've got shooting boards and I've got bevel gauges out here. You know, I'm marking a line with a knife and sawing to that line and then coming back with a shooting board. And the dude just takes a paring chisel and just like four or five passes with a wide paring chisel. And he's got a perfect fitting miter. And you're just, (laughs) oh my God, that's awesome. You know, but he's been doing it. He's been working entirely by hand. What season's he on now? 30 something million. Yeah. You know, and and before that, he was at Colonial Williamsburg as a house right. You know, he's just been doing it forever. Right. Frank yeah. Klaus cuts three-minute dovetails because he's cut four billion of them. You know, it's right. just 
Wow. Yeah, so it, it's almost it's almost less than the about the tool than the person wielding the tool. You know, I mean, uh, another great example is like Adam Carabini and again, um, uh, uh, Roy Underhill at the at Woodworking in America, the first one where they were doing this thing where they had a clinic saying, OK, use your chisels and you can plow grooves with this. They showed it and all of us are like, that is so easy. You just drop your shoulder down. You hold it like this. You do it that <laughs> watching a room full of guys, probably with a great amount of experience, you know, amongst all of them. And watching them screw up these grooves was the funniest thing I ever saw in my life. There wasn't a straight groove in the room except for the two that Roy and uh, Adam had done. And and it was so funny because you could see that frustration. Here's these guys with literally, you know, so much sawdust and, and shavings under their under their belt or under their shoes, actually. And they still were just like brand newbies, you know, right out of the box and struggling with these things. Well, it's, think it's about, a- uh, you know, at WIA last year, um, you know, speaking of Wilbur, he was giving Schwarz a lesson. And on on Japanese hand planes. Yes. You know, and if you've never done it, you know, you've got that muscle memory of a certain activity. And if, you know, granted, I think Schwarz could probably get the hang of it faster than the average person. Um, there still is that thing where it's a new activity. It's something different that you're not used to. And there's going to be a natural learning curve to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I wanted to ask you guys if you thought what you think the reason is because i think it's it's undeniable that there definitely is a shift whether it's in, whether we're in the middle of it are we at the peak of it or is it really just the beginning the shift is here and i'm curious if you guys have any thoughts on why there's more of a shift is it because there's more hobbyists out there you know that sort of we have the luxury of taking our time and there's sort of a rejection of the power tools as being because they're faster because it's a more expedient way to do things um i'm curious if you have any insights on that Hmm. That's like, why is this happening? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely been a huge fluctuation and I can't really, can either of you like pinpoint a time when it really, really started? Because I think as as, as long as I've been, I've been woodworking, there's always been, you know what? In fact, let's do this. Let's see. Uh, um, I, I would say I definitely got my start like late nineties. And at that point I still remember, uh, Chris Schwartz had short hair, kind of looked clean cut. Uh, and he built the $150 workbench. And I think popular woodworking still used to have like a router bit magazine that they would like dedicate like one month to router, uh, to, to like all things router. Yeah. And so I would say it was shortly after that, that we started to kind of see, cause that was around when I got my first block plane and it seemed like not like I'm a barometer for where things were going, although I probably was, uh, but it seemed like <laughs> after that, suddenly there was this all this interest in hand tools. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it was with once the so internet. It's Chris's fault. It's the Schwartz's well, yeah. fault. He's the, he's the Oprah of woodworking. You know, I don't want to say necessarily that any one person is responsible. No, it, it, but yeah, definitely if, not. But I do think that Schwartz has absolutely played a huge role and not just in his individual offerings, but in the direction that he's taken, um, you know, woodworking magazine and then later popular woodworking magazine. Um, cool. Go ahead, man. I just had an epiphany. Wait a minute. Today was Oprah's last day as we're recording this, and we had an announcement that Schwartz's uh, last day is coming up soon. (laughs) And he's been called by Dave Noss, the Oprah of woodworking. Was this planned? What? What? We're going to have to. I bet you hmm. he did that on purpose. Chris is not actually going to work for Lost Art Press. He's going to work for the Oprah Network. (laughs) What is it? Own? Own channel? Yes. O-W-N. Well, you know what? This actually leads us very nicely into what I also wanted to talk about, and that is using 
the magazines as a bit of a barometer. And if you right. think about it, you know, we've got a couple of, I don't want to leave any magazines out, but I know the three that I personally have coming into my mailbox are uh, Popular Woodworking, Fine Woodworking, and Wood Magazine. And if you look at these, there is a huge difference be- between these now. And I think the gap is just getting larger and larger with every issue. Um, if you look at woodworking, I'm sorry, uh, popular woodworking magazine, I would say it is almost 100% focused on uh, hand tools. And yeah. whether it's the ads, whether it's the, you know, the tips, whether it's the projects and the tools being used in those projects, without a doubt, it's a hand tool magazine now. Um, I don't think there's any, I mean, you guys agree with me on that? I do. Yeah, very much so. I, I, I have the last like two or three issues in front of me right now and pretty much 95% of the content in there. I don't care what they say. It's hand tool oriented. Well, I actually what, leave. What is power tool related is written by Glenn Huey. And, yeah. Right. Well, and, he's and, leaving, and, so. and, and right. to some exactly. degree, it's supplementing, you know, what, what the hand tool thing is kind of saying. And it's like, oh, by the way, this is another option you could do yeah. if you want to do it this way. Well, My I, favorite is here's how you can cheat by using a router. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah, everything in there, if it's power tool, you're cheating. Yeah. So maybe that's that's kind of playing into the psych, psychology of this. Ooh, that's vicious. Yeah, it is a little vicious. Uh, you know, the interesting thing, I leave through it, and I'm like, let me just count pictures. And I, you know, didn't count the repeats, but you figure, I don't know how many pictures are in an average magazine just from cover to cover, but in terms of the actual, like, editorial article and feature shots, there were seven pictures that had a power tool in it being being used, not just the background, but actually being used. And the rest of them were either just, you know, shop pictures, project pictures, or hand tool pictures. So out of the entire magazine, seven were power tools. So there's a very intentional thing going on here with, with popular woodworking. And I think, you know, we might go off on a heck of a tangent by talking about what the impact of Schwarz's announcement is, is going to be. Now, I know he's still going to have influence. He's still going to be around, but it's now um, Steve that's kind of calling the shots, right? And it, it begs the question, will things change based on who's, you know, who's at the uh, the helm there? Right. Yeah, because supposedly uh, everybody's still going to be coming back and, and contributing and everything, but you're right. Yeah, it's the 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 person that really would have the the control over the destiny of the magazine yeah yeah started out as definitely somebody and of course if you look at uh um his upcoming speech or excuse me his uh thing at woodworking in america uh he's talking about you know that that whole mix so that's mm-hmm. kind of an interesting perspective too i would like to see it go more hybrid that would be really cool if maybe the pendulum would swing back more towards the middle yeah you know, and well, really point out that, that, you know, you can get more accomplished on the rough end with the power tools and then enjoy the finessing and the fun stuff with, with the hand tools. Sure. And, and you know, and, and we have a comment later on in our show notes from the forum that kind of hits on this. But I wonder, is it kind of there already? I mean, how many people really, truly are, you know, nothing but hand tools? You know, how many people, maybe they, they talk a lot about hand tools, and I'm not saying that somebody's like, you know, faking it, but, you know, they're just, what gets talked about is how to do things by hand, but how many people really are hybrid, you know? Yeah, right, I mean, yeah. I still use my bandsaw quite a bit. You know, I, I admit, I haven't touched my table saw in a long time. I told you earlier, I use my router table. It's been a long time, but, you know, I use my thickness planer. Yeah. Um, I, I actually did use my joiner the other day. I just didn't feel like using a hand plane to flatten the face. And it was a, it was a narrow board. Most of the time, you know, it's a matter of getting one face flat enough so that it doesn't rock. 
and then you run it through a thickness planer. That technically makes me a hybrid woodworker, doesn't it? I mean, I I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, and I just wonder. I bet more people are more towards the center, but. Uh, what are they spending their money on? I guess well, is the other question. But, but the interesting thing here is if you look at, there's always new woodworkers coming into the craft and depending yeah. on who they see first and who catches their interest first really dictates the path that they're going to take. And you look at someone like James, James got the hand tool bug and went, you know, whole hog into the hand tools and it didn't turn out to be very good for him. So I think as new woodworkers come in, I mean, the hand tool school's not all that old. Uh, so yeah. maybe, maybe five years from now, you can look back and see how many people got into woodworking. Maybe they saw a TV show. How many people hate me? <laughs> exactly. How many people <laughs> are sending are sending Shannon the bill? Um, you know, how many people come into woodworking? They find out about hand tools. They're intrigued. They go into Shannon school and they become exclusive hand tool woodworkers. Because even though you are, you know, when you do, you disclose that you actually do use your power tools. The point of the hand tool school They're is to show... They're in the background show, of every camera shot, for God's sake. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But if you're the person who's sort of infatuated with a particular thing, you are going to sort of ignore that and see what you want to see. And what yeah. they see is a hand tool only sort of woodworker, and that's kind of what you present, what you sell there. So, well, and think about the void now. There's no Norm Abrams anymore. How many guys point. talk about, I got into woodworking because of watching David Marks or watching Norm Abrams. Neither that, one are on the air anymore. Yeah, That's you know? a great point because that's exactly, I remember like when I first got going, uh, you know, back in the late 90s, that was the one thing that got me is I, I, I watched my first new Yankee Workshop episode. I was hooked. From that point on, you know, I they, they had on like HGTV. I watched it two, three times a day. Oh, yeah. I had to have every single one of those tools and that was my first experience was like this is woodworking you have to have all these power tools and then once i think like especially when the 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 internet really got to the point where a lot of people had the internet and it wasn't just for some geek who listens to frog pants network had you know the uh, the internet but there, there, suddenly there was like the, these these boutique tools i mean like lee nielsen when they got started they were just a small company literally working out of a kitchen with this tiny little catalog that only had like maybe two or three tools you know, right, and then yeah. you heard about these other ones and suddenly, you know, this this interest kind of opened up and I'll admit it secretly, I would watch uh, Roy and I would be like, that is so weird. Who the heck would ever do that? But in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah. I'd like to do that. Oh, I, I loved love watching it. I loved oh, watching yeah. it because it was like an adventure in this guy's, you know, bubble of a world that he lives in. I would never necessarily do the things he's doing, but yep. man, I loved watching it. Um, sure. You know, now, yeah. in interestingly enough, if you look at the other magazines, it's vastly different. And look at uh, Wood Magazine. They are yeah. almost 100% power tools. Uh, mm -hmm. There was one thing in their Ask um, uh, Ask Wood section, a question about uh, hand tools, and I think there was something on in, like the back page or something, a shop tip in the back. But everything else, projects and everything that was made in the magazine was all based around power tools. Yes. And then when you look at fine woodworking, the interesting thing there is fine woodworking, I believe, actually strikes the balance I don't want to say perfectly, but pretty darn close. I was right. looking through, just leafing through. They really do have a good touch of not just you know hand tool reviews. There's a nice uh, chisel review, I believe. They just did a whole smoothing plane review, but they're still talking about power tools. Every one of the projects, for the most part, 
shows the person using both hand tools and power tools in the article. Uh, so they are, you know, really capturing that sort of hybrid woodworking approach. And uh, frankly, I think they're doing a fantastic job of, of nailing that particular go-between. So it's kind of funny. If you look at those three, if you were to call them, I don't know, is it safe to call them the big three? I don't know their subscriber numbers. Um, right. But they're the three that I subscribe to. Um, fine woodworking is in the okay. middle. You got pop doing uh, 100% hand tools and wood doing 100% power tools. So right. I don't know. I well, think that's kind of cool. Know, it's I interesting because like I've always viewed them as distinct entities. I've always viewed wood and, and maybe this is right. Maybe it's not. I've viewed wood magazine as kind of like the magazine for beginners. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of smaller projects. They do mm-hmm. some from, you know, I, I love their their um, series of toys. I made the crane and the backhoe and my nephew loves me for it. Yeah. Um, those kind of easy well, you gave to get to into. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. It was hard, <laughs> but you know, wood was always that beginner magazine. I always viewed fine woodworking as kind of the professional magazine, Yeah. Right. you know, and if you think about it, professionals, they are more hybrid, you know, fine wood, fine woodworking, truly that makes fine furniture. You need to use a hand plane somewhere along the line. You mm-hmm. need to use chisels along the way for that kind of, level of precision you know um so i think many of the professionals recognize that hand tools are just a part of the shop but you got to make a living you know right you got to put food on the table so and then popular woodworking has kind of become like the academic um it's certainly moved down the road of the esoteric and and you know here's some new techniques and kind of um is avant-garde the right term? You know, it's like this, yeah, this subversive yeah. movement, as uh, Roy Underhill would say. Um, it's like it's an anarchist or something. Yeah, <laughs> with a tool chest. So it's interesting because I've always viewed them that way, but I've never really thought about why I view them that way, and maybe it's related. I don't know. Well, you know, at the at that very first woodworking in America in Berea, one thing that was said at the the dinner, which I I have to say that of all the dinners I went to, that was the nicer one. Uh, of the meals that they served. Um, but one thing that was said was Steve Shanessy got up there to kind of like, you know, congratulate everybody. Oh, this was a great weekend and stuff. And he made a comment talking about how when this whole thing came around, you know, the Woodworking America and stuff, it was, it was Chris's idea. And it was like one of those things that the magazine at that point was going in this direction. And there was some question about whether it was going to either be the suicide of the magazine or whether it was going to really take off from there. And I don't think he used the word suicide. I'm throwing that in there because I think Loogie disrupted me while I was trying to listen or something <laughs> at the table. So I'm just going to fill in Loogie. the conversation there. But I remember him you know, specifically saying that there was this point where it was like one of those – I'm going to take a chance on this you know, and I'm going to help you push this and maybe as a team we can get this to happen. But – um, you know, there's still this possibility this is going to backfire in our faces. And obviously they hit the right tone at the right time that people were like, you know, this hand tool thing with this Roy guy is really cool. Yeah. Let's run with this or or just these things we're seeing on the Internet now. This is really cool and nobody else is doing it because I think at that point, fine woodworking was way more uh, all power tool and well, obviously wood still pretty much is the same way. The majority of the magazines, everything was power. So there was nowhere to get that fix that, you know, the, the, the kooky ones were looking for. Yeah. Well, I think in yeah. this day and age, you really do. It is a, a good gamble to drill down further into your niche. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what yeah. pop woodworking has done, you know, absolutely here. So, I mean, for me personally, I love it because I know what I'm going to get when I open that magazine and I know what I, it's a little bit more predictable. And I think trying to be everything to everybody is a really, really difficult way to go. 
Um, so hopefully this is good for them, and I'm uh, very curious. Now, I don't want to say too much because we haven't actually done all the legwork to get this going, but we're going to try to interview a rep from each one of those magazines to get their perspectives on this because obviously their goal is to do what the readers want to see, you know, and, cha- and basically if they need to change in response to reader request and interest, that's what they're going to do. So um, I think what we're going to try to do is each one of us will contact one of these magazines and talk to them a little bit about where they think the magazine is going in the next couple of years. Are they responding to community change or is it, this is the way we do things and this is just how it's going to be from now on. And, um, you know, if there is some sort of a plan there. So I think that might be very interesting to hear, you know, directly from the, the horse's mouth. And again, using that as a barometer for what's actually happening in the community. Right. Um, now, so there's your heads up magazines. Turn on your auto responders, your vacation out of office notifications. <laughs> yeah. and send hearing, a voicemail. Yeah, you'll be hearing from coming. us soon. Yeah. Um, the, so the, the three amigos are rolling in. You know, one one thing I I thought of playing on this idea of the pendulum shift, mm-hmm. I had this thought this afternoon that I think what we're going to see is a huge swing back towards maybe the power side. But I have this envision of like a whole steampunk kind of hand tool <laughs> mix thing going on. I'm so seeing like lasers with, with like the hand tool and it's like, you know, it's going to look like a traditional saw, but it's going to have these weird things on the side and buttons and gadgets, but it's going to be all antique So a giant 15-inch power planer with a handle? Yes. And you'll have to have some sort of weird face mask that looks you look makes you look like an outer space creature or something. <laughs> you know, that's I don't man, this is gonna be a long conversation. Um I, I know at some point my parents are, are gonna be coming over to pack up more books, so that may get noisy. But anyway, um do you think and, and Matt, you just kind of addressed it with a joke, but do you think the pendulum is going to swing back? Are we are we staying this course? Has it's this permanently changed? And most people will, as they get into it, this is actually completing a point I meant to make earlier. If people come in and they go, let's say, the hand tool school route, and they're all hand tools, well, they may actually wind up, as they go through their personal swing, the pendulum may end up in the center as they become more of a hybrid woodworker, as they personally get to that point that they've been in it for a few years. Um, in general, though, will the community's awareness and the proponents who are out there, will that awareness sort of swing back uh, toward the middle or will it go severely almost, I don't know, maybe maybe more people have uh, James experience and they wind up going back the other way toward hand or power tools because it's the comfort zone. Um, Shannon, do you think it's going to go back the other way? You know, I think that probably not to the extreme. You know, I don't right. think it'll swing back to all power tools because I think it's it's kind of like, um, you know, compare it to the, the dot bomb, the dot com boom and the dot bomb afterwards. You know, right. we got so excited about all this Internet commerce and all this stuff and then things fell apart. And then there was a little bit of a resurgence again back towards the Internet, but everybody was a little bit wiser. You know, so we didn't go whole hog into something. There's no doubt that hand tools do certain things better. You've got more control with hand tools than you do with the power tool in some instances. And I think all this education and awareness of it, you know, people will end up going back to power tools. I mean, why were power tools invented in the first place? To make things that were a pain in the butt more efficient, more more faster is what I was about to say. More better. More better. <laughs> so, I, but I think that what will happen is people will kind of get their blow off their hand tool steam and go, okay, there's got to be a better way to do this, right. you know, but maybe hopefully, and, and frankly, this was my idea with a hand tool school, not to convert everybody to a bunch of galoots, but hopefully recognize that there are some better ways to do things by hand or 
forget better, more enjoyable ways to do things. And they'll they'll end up going back to their power joiner and thickness planer or whatever, but they'll continue to cut dovetails by hand, you know, right. because they like the the artistic element of it, the ability to control the shape of the tail and the frequency and all that fun stuff and not having to set up a uh, a router jig that takes forever and has stereo instructions, you know. Um, <laughs> I, I do think that we'll all be a little bit wiser and we won't just shun hand tools because they still do a really good job. And like James, you spent a bunch of money on them, so you don't want to just put them <laughs> on a shelf. Yeah, so no kidding. I hope. That's that's my prediction anyway. It'll cool. just kind of settle somewhere in the middle. Cool. It, you know, one thing just uh, I was going to – on a more serious uh, note, what my, my prediction is I think we will swing back towards more of the power. But I think what's going to happen is now that we're going to be a little bit more educated, we're going to – because like really when it came down to it, as as hand tools were starting to cut on the upswing, it seemed like the market just got flooded with a bunch of junk power stuff. Um, I, yeah, I hate to true. use the example, but it's it's like the harbor freight mentality. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, you know, you make it cheaper so people will want it. They'll buy it because, you know, it's available. I think what we'll see is a swing back towards the power, but we're going to understand what we really want, what we really need, and we're going to weed out all the – well, not all of it. We're going to weed out enough of the crap stuff that really kind of made it a joke, you know, to some degree with the whole power thing. Because there's, there's some really jokey tools out there. Yeah. And I think to some degree maybe that will help to clean that out of the way so that it will be more legitimate. And then we'll have a better understanding, appreciate those for what they can do more. But I don't think the hand tool is ever going to – it's not going to go back to the whole thing again where everything's going to have a tail on it. Do you think that uh, that as as it does swing more toward center, does this bode like poorly for the high end manufacturers of hand tools? You know, the really boutique type uh, tools that are out there. No, I I don't think so. If anything, I think their business is either going to stay as as it is now, or actually increase just a little bit more because. We're finally maybe at this point we're leading into the point where people are going to be more educated because, you know, the information's going to be out there yeah. and they'll, they'll be able to appreciate, you know, what a really, really good tool can do for you versus just what a tool can plow through. Yeah. And whether it's hand tools or power tools, there are there will always be people who have enough money and want the best. And it exactly. doesn't matter. You know, nothing will be between them and getting the best tool in that category. Right. Um, you know, right, I well, think there'll be almost like a life cycle of sorts, you know, I mean, yeah. people new coming into the craft will still have to make the same decisions that, you know, we made oh, sure. coming into this craft and the same, if not more information will still be available, right, you know, right. and, and, you know, you get, ideally it'll allow people to come to kind of their happy medium much faster, um, than, than Very, having yeah. to make mistakes and, and spending a bunch of money and end up in the wrong way. You know, listening to Matt, and I'm sorry, Mark, I'm going to make this conversation longer, but <laughs> listening to Matt, it brings up a good point because, again, I'm the hand tool guy, so I, I always immediately jump toward, you know, hand tools do things, some, some things better than power tools. But you know what? Maybe I just don't know how to use some of my power tools well enough. Um, I was at the Canthus workshop a couple weeks ago or a week ago, whenever that was. Was that last week? Some time ago and taking a molding plane class, you know, like the ultimate fallen off the deep end to the hand tool side. I'm cutting moldings by hand now. I've completely lost my mind. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here's Chuck Bender, professional cabinet maker of 30 some years, just laughing at us. You know, it's his school. He's off in the corner, just like 
you know, oh, you could use a router bit for that, you know, and here's a guy that makes like beautiful period furniture. And, you know, hand tools have kind of become the the war cry of the period furniture maker. You know, you can't make that molding with a router bit. Well, here's a guy who's been doing it for many, many years, making some of the finest period furniture in the country, and he uses router bits, you know. Right, yeah. it, it makes you wonder, you know, maybe I just don't know. Maybe I gave up on my power tools too too soon. Well, that's now, that's. Definitely... I love hand tools. I'm not going anywhere, guys. Don't worry about that. But... Hand tool school is closed. <laughs> Shannon, I would Sorry. suggest you get a membership with uh, something called the Guild. Yeah, um... there is the Guild if you're interested, Shannon. Um, All right. Yeah. No. The um the the interesting thing is I, I think that brings up a really good point because there have been times when I've worked with um you know going to classes and things and working with different woodworkers you really get a perspective for how some of these people really dial this stuff in. Um, Take a class with Daryl Peart or William Ng. Watch them pull out their feeler gauges. Watch them pull out the calipers. And let's talk about, you know, peeling one thou off at the table saw just because you can. You know what I mean? So if if you have your tools dialed in and you know how to use them, um, you can get amazing levels of accuracy and, of course, repeatability on those power tools. So a lot of times, you know, I agree. I think there are some things that hand tools certainly are just better or faster at doing, um, but you can certainly do them on power tools. It just may take a little bit more in the way of careful setup. Yeah. Hasn't Hendrick said that like a bunch of times, Matt, when you were doing interviews with him, he was like, he always managed to dodge the hand tool bullet. (laughs) You know, (laughs) that hand tool question would come up and Hendrick would very subtly kind of sidestep it and say, yeah, I have some hand planes, you know, and then he'd go back to talking about, you know, finishing or, or his latest DVD or whatever. And I, you know, I'm sure he uses them, but here's a professional cabinet maker that you can talk about precision. You yes. know, that's got his tools dialed in so oh, exactly. That, that mechanical yeah. f- mechanical pencil thing. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the, he he did though. He 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 would he offered classes on uh, on on hand planes and how to set them up and how to get them you know tuned up and and using them the right way. Mm-hmm. And he did use those, from what I understand, in his shop. So yeah, it, it's like almost like one of those. You know, oh, don't look over on that shelf. Look over here. <laughs> All right. Well, we threw this out to the community just so we can get a little bit of perspective here. And um, we won't spend too long talking about these, but I figured we, it was good to read some of these comments that came into the forum. And we also got a couple of voicemails. In fact, let me play the voicemails first, and then we'll do the the reading. So uh, you guys know Tom Iovino from uh, Tom's Tips and Tom'sWorkbench.com. He had a little bit to say about exactly this topic. So uh, let's take a listen. Has the hand tool movement gone too far? I don't think it has. Um, you know, the, uh, the the hand tool movement that's taken place over the past five, ten years has really been a good thing for woodworkers. A chance to take a look at the tools that are out there, new manufacturers to come in, old product lines restored. I mean, there's a great, uh, vast number of, of excellent hand tools out there. And it's made woodworkers stop for a little bit and think about what they're working with. Um, will it shift back more towards a power tool standing? I think it will. Um, many of us are the professionals who do this uh, after hours, kind of like our hobby. And um, I know that, you know, with me, especially this time of year, I don't really have enough time to get out into the shop and start hand ripping boards down. Um, so for me, I mean, part of it is going to be part, always going to be part power and part hand tools. Um, you know, again, it's just going to be a matter of me finding a sweet spot for what's good in my shop. And I want to know about both worlds because in reality, this isn't what I'm doing for a day job and I'm not reproducing the way it was back around colonial times. So 
I definitely want to lean towards that middle ground and, you know, definitely get enjoyment in the both sets of tools. All right. Thanks for that, Tom. He recorded that on his phone. So uh, at work, I think he just ran into the bathroom or something. <laughs> I was going to say, that. you know, I think I, yeah, that sounded like a stall. Yeah, that <laughs> There been. was a flush in the background, I swear. All right. So uh, thanks for that, Tom. Uh, definitely sounds like Tom is more in the center, uh, like most of us. Um, Diami actually left another message for us, uh, and he gave us his thoughts on it. And uh, audio quality should be a little bit better on this one. Gentlemen, good evening. This is Diami from Penultimate Woodshop. I'm calling in reply to the post of Wood Talk Online about the hand tool versus power tool versus hybrid approach. I wanted to put in my two cents. I am a hybrid woodworker. As you may know, uh, I have very little time to spend in the shop, and I get the most satisfaction personally about actually building product projects and completing them as rare as that is. So for my own sake, uh, I don't care how a project gets done. I'm not a purist. It doesn't need to be done entirely by hand. It doesn't get done entirely by tools either. I try to find what, at least within my own tool set and skill set, is the most efficient way to do it, and that's how I do it, and that ends up being a hybrid woodworker. So that's my own personal approach. To speak to the greater topic, I think it certainly isn't a pendulum. We're swinging towards the hand tool way, I think personally based on two reasons, is the quality of hand tools available now is unlike anything that's been seen before, and the uh, the famous folk who are out there talking about hand tools. People like Shannon, people like the Schwarz, all these people evangelizing, that's the term I was looking for, uh, the use of hand tools. And I think that's going to keep us swinging towards um, the hand tool route for a while to go. I know Chris has just announced he's leaving popular woodworking, but he's going to be out there still writing blogs for them, and he's still going to be a voice within the woodworking community. It's going to take someone uh, taking over Norm's place as the power tool advocate to bring the pendulum back in the other direction. I think this is going to be a very long slow swinging pendulum, but it will go back and forth between power tools and hand tools. As a woodworker, I think that's absolutely fine. It brings us a high-quality hand tools as it is now and high-quality uh, power tools, maybe even better-quality power tools when it swings the other direction. As long as we get good, nice-quality tools, I think we're better off for it. So thanks for keeping the discussion going and teaching us both ways to do it. Awesome. Great voicemail, and um, he brings up some good points for sure. Especially that I'm an expert and a celebrity. <laughs> there you go. I agree with that. Um, I approve that message. <laughs> we should record that for you. Shannon approves this message. All right. So uh, in the community forum, we had a couple of comments that came in. We're just going to read these real quick from uh, some folks there uh, expressing their opinions. Uh, David H. says, I think it will swing back to center. There are some things that are just not fun with hand tools. Yeah, it's cool to learn at least once how to flatten a board by hand, but when I can use my power planer to do it, why not? That being said, there's nothing like getting a joint just right with a shoulder plane or block plane, or cutting dovetails by hand, for example. Yeah, there will be guys that will do everything by hand and the more power to them, but I think the mainstream will end up swinging back to center, a mixture of hand and power tools. Cool. Oh, very nice. The next one we have is from Paul N., I am not pronouncing that last name. Nunya. Uh, and it's, uh, it says, uh, my opinion is it is like a new hobby spinoff for corded woodworkers. It's fun at first, but eventually it becomes more like work than actual fun. That, that's how it was for me anyway. <laughs> how you like that, Shannon? <laughs> I'm actually, Hangel School, School, School is actually a Wood Whisperer Guild spinoff. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right. So uh, then Paul goes on to say, I kept seeing all the topics, videos, audio shows, talking about how 
great hand tools are. So I started acquiring some hand planes, hand drills, saws, etc. Just the basics, not going into the extremely expensive specialty tools, but it became more of a headache than a benefit. I pretty much retired the majority to a cabinet and convinced myself that if the power ever goes out, I'll be happy. <laughs> hey, then, there's room for every opinion, you know. I mean, that's uh, that's that's interesting. But this is my my point was that there may be a couple, you know, a lot of people out there who go through this and realized, eh, you know, maybe I'm I'm happier with the power tools. Nothing wrong with it, but it's it's just interesting to observe. Yeah. Well, uh, Richard B. says that most of the guys I meet prefer power tools over hand tools. Really, it's rare for me to run into a woodworker who makes frequent use of hand tools in a meaningful way. If I had to bet my own money on the answer to this question, I would have to say that most people will be using power tools predominantly. Perhaps with this new hand tool craze, in quotes, we may see the more balanced approach using both routinely and meaningfully become the trend. It seems the most reasonable to me. I like that response. I like it. Balanced. I like using tools in meaningful ways, too. No doubt. Okay, we got one last one here from Nate Thomas. He says, I think the growth of interest in hand tools is due to the rise of the hobbyist woodworker. We build and charge for blah, blah. We build and change wood for pure enjoyment and as a creative release. Hobbyists do not need to increase efficiency or turn out more projects. Instead, the hobbyist seeks to maximize their enjoyment. We build for ourselves and at our own pace. We have the luxury of spending time hand-cutting dovetails and planing wood by hand if we choose. Moreover, people are looking for a connection to the craft, not just a means to an end. Anyone who has had, who has used a power planer and a jack plane can tell you which is faster and which is more pleasant to be around. I bought a fret saw, chisels, block plane, marking gauge, and dovetail saw because I wanted to learn how to make things uh, with my hands. I have a router, sure, but it's not just batching, but it's not just batching out drawers that interests me. So, yeah, I mean, that's all great points from everybody. There's actually you know, more coming I think that in. last one's kind of dead on. You know, there's so mm-hmm. many people sitting at desks all day long, and there's a in the woodworking online community, there's a predominance of computer programmers oh, yeah. and IT guys who are just like, I don't want to look at a computer when I get home. Let me go hit something. You yeah. know, caveman comes the out. The less technical, and, the better. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, the other thing, though, is, and the, I, I won't say I disagree because I think it's, he's sort of a side disagree to what he was saying in the, in the fact that um, I don't want anyone to think that you can't enjoy the craft or get close to the wood by using power tools. You know, I hear that a lot from a lot of people and I've seen comments about yeah. that, that the hand tools really let you get close to the wood that let you really, you know, take your time and enjoy the craft. And uh, that's part of your satisfaction. Well, I mean, to me, progress is part of my satisfaction. <laughs> uh, getting stuff done is part of my satisfaction. Yeah, whatever. Just because you produce more projects. <laughs> Shut up. I mean, so seriously, the I under, and I agree, that, you know, the, the means is, you know, sometimes the, the end is not the only thing you want to focus on, but at the same time, having a beautiful completed project in my, you know, repertoire and taking a picture of it and moving on to the next project is a major, major part of my satisfaction. And if things take too long during the process... I start to get antsy and I start to lose interest in the project. So, you know, for me personally, I find that the power tools help me get into my craft more. Um, and also the, the hand tools certainly are a major component of that. Um, but I really am only using the hand tools if I feel that they can give me better results or faster results. I'm not necessarily using them to do any sort of, you know, weird <laughs> sort of, you know, feeling with the wood that I'm not getting from my power tools. 
Right. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that really does it for all of those great comments. And, and we, we'll put the link in the show notes to the thread where I put up a, a thing about this asking for comments. There's a lot more coming in and you could join in the discussion. Let us know what you think. Um, you know, hey, the bottom line is I think all of us will agree. And I think the the theme running through a lot of people's comments is that most people, regardless of how they start, will most likely end up in the middle because the truth is it really doesn't matter. You have to use what you want to use, what you like to use, whether it's power or hand tools. And frankly, I think the average person who's trying to just get these projects done in the most efficient way possible will have to use both. Right. 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 I mean, if you're using one or the other, I think you're losing some opportunities uh, by not exploring uh, the other option. Mm-hmm. But oh, again, yeah, if that's what you want to do, uh, all, all like he's uh, who was it, Nate? Uh, somebody said all the power to you. Um, right. Exactly. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> do but what you got to do. Yeah, do what you want to do. Make it happen the way you want it to happen, and uh, we still love you, no matter whether you have a power cord or not. All that matters is that you enjoy it. That's what it really comes down to. Absolutely. Wow. So, hey, we're going to skip the common task quiz. We'll put that on till next one. And it really, that I, I got to tell you, it wasn't that exciting anyway. Um, I will read an iTunes review real quick from Nitro Tom, and he gave us a five-star review. He says, I recently moved and increased my commute by an hour. That's that's a huge bummer. Wow. <laughs> you guys make the drive enjoyable. It allows me to think woodworking while away from the shop, keep doing the podcast, or I'll quit going to work. <laughs> so we don't want to... Uh, no, like, I don't need that on my shoulders. <laughs> yeah, we don't want Tom to lose his job here, so I think we'll keep doing the show. Um, and I think that's just about going to close it out for us. And uh, okay. Matt, if you want to do the contact info, we will get out of here. Of course, you can email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com, or you can leave us a voicemail at our phone number, which is 623-242-5180. You can even Skype us at Wood Talk Online, And don't forget to visit our individual sites, especially mine during those warm summer months when <laughs> nobody likes me. Uh, MattSpaceMentWorkshop.com, uh, Mark over at TheWoodWhisperer.com, and of course RenaissanceWoodworker.com, and definitely pop on over to the WoodTalkOnline.com forum, where you'll find a ton of great stuff, where, of course, you could even maybe leave a comment about some of the stuff you heard today, or tell us about how you can't stand hand tools or power tools, or <laughs> you just like knitting. Go for that. No, yes. don't, don't, don't kick us where it hurts with the knitting thing. That's, that's always painful. Yeah. Don't even get us started on that. <laughs> uh, I should mention also, since I'm, I brought up the iTunes reviews, uh, remember, you leave a five-star review, we're going to read it on the show. So just go into the iTunes store, look for Wood Talk Online, and leave us that sweet five stars that we love, and, uh, and we'll give you uh, love and appreciation back. Absolutely. Or Matt will, at least. He's got the Yeah, I will. Spare. I'll be like, listen, five stars, you know what that gets you? Get your back rub next time I see you. <laughs> hey, thanks for that five-star review. Wow. Mind, I if I get, creepy mind if I get creepy for a minute? <laughs> All right. So I think that does it for us, guys. This was an incredible show, a marathon show, hour and a half. This is definitely longer than we have ever done in the past, but it was a blast. Wow. It only felt like 20 minutes. Uh, no, it felt like an hour and a half. I'm starving. That's yeah. true. My butt is <laughs> sore. <laughs> All right. So thanks for listening. If you're uh, coming from the Frog Pants Network and listening for the first time, we appreciate you spending quality time with us and don't forget to check out all the great shows at the frog frog pants network that's frogpants.com and we'll catch you next time see ya see y'all wood talk online is a community supported show and you can help out for as little as two dollars a month donations aren't required but they are appreciated if you'd like to help out head to woodtalkonline.com and click one of the donation buttons in the right column thanks for listening and thanks for your support 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.